He's risen. Oh, what an awesome day, church. My favorite, my favorite holiday, my favorite time of the church year to come together to worship and to give thanks for all of the gifts that God has given. Let's turn to Luke chapter 24 if you would like to. Have your Bibles along. There are Bibles in, underneath the seats in front of you. Starting at verse 1 in Luke 24, we'll read the Easter gospel from Luke. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices that they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed down their faces to the ground, the men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise? And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. The gospel of the Lord, let's pray. Father, we are grateful. We're grateful for this word this morning, for the truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, for the work that was won for us by our Savior Jesus at the cross and sealed by his blood and in the resurrection, Lord, he's alive. And so, Lord, we give you thanks and praise today. Would you come by the power of your Spirit into the lives of all that are gathered here today who will enter these doors and the doors of all churches, Lord? Would you proclaim life through Jesus, the risen one? Pour out your Spirit, Lord. Empty me of myself and fill me to overflowing with your spirit that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts might be acceptable in your sight for you are our strength and our salvation. And all God's people say, Amen. Amen. Well, I've heard that there's a game, a game that you can buy called What If? It's a game where participants ask each other you know, what if questions and then they rate the answers or vote on the answers that people give. I, I don't know. I don't know how it works. I've never played it. I have, however, often in my life played the unofficial what-if game. And I'm confident that, that all of you have played this game as well. You know the game. It's those intrusive thoughts that spin around your head that are most related to either events that could happen in the future or the ones that you can't control or regrets of your past that you are obsessing over. When it comes to the future, we all play that what-if game at times. What if this happens or what if that happens and we ask ourselves all sorts of questions like, well, what if I just quit my job right now? Or what if I break up with this person? What if I just pack up and move and get out of here? What if I can't pay off that debt? Now, that sort of processing or questioning of one situation in the future can sometimes be fruitful as we try to avoid pitfalls. However, the what-if game we play in our heads regarding our past, now, that game is often far from helpful. 
In fact, what ifs about our past can be some of the most damaging questions that we ask ourselves. Damaging because they keep us spinning on situations or decisions that can't be undone or changed. Anybody? They often just serve to kind of keep us living in regret. This sort of like spinning computer, you know, symbol that keeps us up at night. What if I'd done that? Or what if I'd done this? Or how would things be different? What if I had said that? Or what if I hadn't said that? How would that have changed the situation or my life? Obsef- obsessing with what ifs over the past can often keep us in bondage and keep us from stepping into the future with hope or peace or joy. It can keep us from healing or, or becoming all that we were created to be. While the what ifs of the future can at times paralyze us from acting or doing something we should because we can't predict what's going to happen, Right? Well, there's a what-if moment in our text. There's a what-if moment in our text today. And it's a what-if moment that changes not only the particular disciples' past and future, it's a what-if moment that, depending on how we answer it, will change our past and will transform our future. It's the most powerful what-if moment in history. And it's a what-if moment that each of us have to come to terms with. Maybe some of us in this room We'll answer it today. Let's go to the text and I'll show you what I mean. The text begins with the obvious, with the heaviness of grief and death of Jesus. The women are heading to the tomb to anoint the body of Jesus with spices. And Luke, the writer of this gospel, was, is a physician. And, and you'll notice in the text that the primary concern for Luke, this physician, is the body of Jesus, specifically the fact that it's gone. The women come to anoint Jesus but he's not there. Now, there aren't a lot of reasons that could bring this reality about. There's really only one rational explanation. It was stolen. That's the only possible conclusion that you can make. The women initially probably thought that too. Were it not for the fact that upon entering the tomb and finding the body of Jesus gone, they're told what really happened to the body. They have a spiritual encounter in the empty tomb. They are told something that runs absolutely counter to what their eyes have seen and their minds and heart have witnessed, that Jesus is dead. But the word they receive in that tomb shocks them. It runs counter to what they're believing. Why do you seek the living among the dead? Verse 5. He's not there. He is risen. Remember? How you, he told you while he was in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and crucified, and on the third day rise. And the text says in verse 8, they remembered. They remembered Jesus' words. Jesus had told his followers exactly what would happen. He would be beaten and killed and would rise again on the third day. He told them. But seeing these words come true, like first of all, experiencing his gruesome death was all that they could see, all that they could feel and believe until that moment in the empty tomb with the divine message, he is risen. The truth must have just rung through their bodies, right? It must have absolutely shaken them to the core. The women are the first to hear the message of Easter, Jesus is risen. The body hasn't been stolen, it's been raised from the dead, (laughs) Jesus is alive. It's amazing news. It's unbelievable news. And that is exactly what the apostles, what the disciples thought when the women came back and told them what they saw and heard. It's unbelievable. Verse 11. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. Now, idle tale is a generous or a kind interpretation of the Greek 
the Greek word that's used here. The Greek word here is leros, and it's the root word for delirious. According to the standard lexicon, it means that which is totally devoid of anything worthwhile. (laughs) The disciples thought the women were out of their minds. (whistles) Crazy. It could be read that the disciples thought the women were spouting nonsense. Disciples didn't believe a word the women were saying about the empty tomb and the message of the resurrection from the dead. And here it is. Right here. Where the greatest what-if moment in all of history happens. It's a what-if moment that is experienced by one disciple in particular, but it is a what-if moment that all of us have to face. Look at verse 12. It says two words. But Peter, did you see that? (laughs) The text says, but Peter. Hearing what the women said, now they thought all along with the other disciples, these women are nuts, that's crazy. And then he said to himself, what if it's true? But Peter ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. What if Jesus was telling the truth when he said to us, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elder and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day raised? Jesus said that to them three times. Three times before the events happened that he would, be, that he would suffer, be killed, and be raised from the dead on the third day. Three times Jesus predicted. And now that must have been ringing in Peter's ear. And just after the women shared the news, the question rose inside him, what if he's alive? Peter's curiosity drove him. He ran to the tomb, and when he came back from the tomb, as the ramifications of that question, what if Jesus is alive, began to sink in. The text says, he went home marveling at what had happened. The Greek word here is translated as marveling. It's probably more accurately translated as astonished out of one's senses. (laughs) To be awestruck. Peter marveled at what took place. It's beyond what he had experienced and sensed and seen. It says that, in effect, the fullness of what had happened, Jesus was alive, began to just hit him. And by that evening, Jesus himself would be standing among the disciples in the upper room, showing them his scars, speaking peace, breathing peace. In fact, turn to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24, verse 44 and 49 Jesus is standing in the middle of the room with them. And he says, these these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. This is Jesus speaking, the risen Lord. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in the name, his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You're my witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Jesus says, you're my witnesses. I told you that these things would happen. You experienced and saw exactly what I had said would come to pass, and it did. And now I'm alive, and you are witness of this. And now the promises of God are upon you, and the hope and the forgiveness, the life that is in me is going to reach out 
to the ends of the world, starting in Jerusalem. The what if in Peter became, and it is true. It has come to pass. What if it's true has turned into the joy of Jesus is alive. And here's the turn. Here's where the rubber hits the road for us. Where Peter's question is turned on us. Because what if it's true? What if Jesus was raised from the dead? What if the resurrection actually happened? What if the things we are celebrating today aren't just a fairy tale? What if they're true? Well, let's start by answering the opposite of that question. Let's look at what if it isn't true? What if Jesus didn't rise from the dead and he's buried somewhere in some unmarked grave somewhere in the world? What if that's the case? What if this whole thing is just a hoax? Well, the Apostle Paul actually goes right at that question. In fact, what the Apostle Paul says is, if Jesus isn't raised from the dead, then we are really a lost bunch of pitiful people. You know that Paul said that? He said it in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting at verse 13, the Apostle Paul says, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. First Corinthians 15, 14. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise if it's true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then... Not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, futile, and you are still in your sins. <laughs> then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. In other words... If all Jesus did was try to, you know, teach us uh, to be good to each other, you know, if Christ, if only in this life we have hope, then we are the most to be pitied. If all Jesus was was a moral teacher, a cheerleader for, for kind of good behavior to punch us on the arm, then we are really a sorry bunch if there is no resurrection. If that's true and there's no resurrection, well, then Paul says, we're of all people most to be pitied. We are a bunch of losers, even misrepresenting God, he says, because we've been saying that Jesus rose from the dead. But in fact, Jesus was raised from the dead. And Paul himself, if you look at that chapter at the beginning of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul himself lists the people who witnessed and saw the risen Lord Jesus. Look at verse 3 of chapter 15. For I delivered you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died, 1 Corinthians 15, 3, for Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scripture, that he was buried, that he was raised, circle it, on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of them who are still alive, though some have fallen asleep, then he appeared to James and to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, a born, he appeared to me. He appeared to me. A whole bunch of people saw Jesus in the flesh, heard him speak, spent time with him after he had been crucified and risen. There are many witnesses to the resurrection. A whole bunch of people saw the risen Jesus. 
They saw him die. They saw his body, grave, risen, hundreds in fact. And I love how Paul says, some of them are even still living. Did you catch that in the text? As if to say, hey, if you don't believe me, we can go find some. There's hundreds of them. And though, and though eyewitness testimony is wonderful, the best testimony for me is how passionate and engaged this group of bumbling disciples become after the resurrection, after Jesus appears to them and fills them with this Holy Spirit. That, that's, the best, that's the best testimony for me because they go out and boldly proclaim Jesus crucified and risen for the forgiveness of sins and for our salvation. These denying, scared disciples lay their lives on the line. I mean, have you read this? How bumbling they are prior to this? They are beaten and they are killed as they testify to this truth that Jesus died and was raised in order to forgive sins. All of the disciples except for John are killed in grisly ways for the gospel of Jesus Christ. That to me seals the question of what if that Jesus is alive? That fact, their passion, even to the point of death, more than anything else, tells me he, was risen, he has risen from the dead. They saw and talked to the risen Lord Jesus, and they were commissioned by him to preach the good news. He is alive. If it weren't true, why would a bunch of people allow themselves to die early deaths, profoundly painful beatings, tortures, experience terrible deaths for a lie or a joke? I mean, one of them would have turned or gotten cold feet at some point, don't you think? We kind of let the cat out of the bag, decided not to keep the lie going, but not one of them did. They were persecuted and martyred because why? What if Jesus rose from the dead is true? They were witness to this glory. It's true. The what if is answered. Jesus rose from the dead and is alive. So what does this mean for us? Well, when we answer that question, what if Jesus rose from the dead and is alive? What does it mean if we say he is? It means that God is with us, that he intends to walk with us, provide for us, fill us, guide us, and save us. It means that every promise of God contained in this book is true. Those promises have been sealed by the blood of Jesus Christ and have come to pass when Jesus rose from the grave. As 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20 says, for all of God's promises find their yes in Jesus. That's why through him we utter our amen to God for his glory. When we allow the what if Jesus rose from the, rose from the dead to become I believe that he rose from the dead, it means that we have hope, a living hope. Jesus is alive. That's 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. We have the forgiveness of sins because Jesus bore our sin and crucified it, and the price has been paid, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. We have the gift of the Holy Spirit, the very presence of God that dwells in us, guiding us, filling us, empowering us, just as Jesus promised, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16. John chapter 16, verse 13, we have become children of God, John 1, 12 through 13, Ephesians 1 through 5 and more. We have been empowered with the gift of the Holy Spirit, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and given the gift, the fruit of the Spirit. That comes from Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. It means that we have been saved. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 3 through 9, where it says, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. 
by grace you've been saved and raised up with him, seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Jesus is alive, and it means that we have a future, an eternal future with Jesus. As he himself said and promised in John chapter 14, in my Father's house are many rooms. If it weren't so, I wouldn't have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and I prepare a place for you, I'm going to come again and I'll take you to myself so that where I am, you may be also. What if Jesus is raised from the dead? What if he is alive? What if it's true? And it is? Well, everything changes. <laughs> I mean, nothing, nothing is the same. And so today, I'm asking each of you to run with Peter, to run with me to an empty tomb and to look inside at an empty grave. And if you've never answered this question before, I'm going to pose it to you now. What if he's alive? What if the resurrection is true? What if Easter is actually the celebration of a God who lived for you, who died for you, who was raised for you in order to forgive your sins and give you abundant and eternal life? What if it's true? And it is. Then all of the what-ifs of your past don't matter. You've been made new. There is no more spinning and obsessing on the past what-ifs because Jesus transforms our past, forgives and resurrects us from the past failures and faults and disappointments and sin. The Apostle Paul will say it plainly in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 17 when he says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ Jesus, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All the what-ifs of the past are gone because Jesus lives. And if you've never done so, I invite you today to leave all your past what-ifs at the cross. Let them go. Lay them down. Jesus is alive. And in him, the what-ifs of the past melt into peace and forgiveness. Along with all the what-ifs of the future, the uncertainties of the fears of what might be, all those things regarding our future that we try to control but can't control. In Jesus, we discover all the future what-ifs are held in his mighty hand. The future is his. He is our future. He says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. It's all for him and everything, our future, all of it is bending towards him. The future lies in the hands of of Jesus. Because of this, we are held secure and our future is certain. As Jesus himself said in John chapter 10, my sheep hear my voice. I know them. They follow me. I give them eternal life. They will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all else and no one can snatch them out of the father's hand. I and the father are one. The future what ifs become certainties that are promised by a risen Lord sealed by his blood. I invite you today to leave all of the what-ifs of your life behind and claim this truth, that Jesus is risen, that he's alive, 
that he is for you, that he has come today to heal you, to save you, to put all the what-ifs of your life into the hands of one Jesus risen from the dead. Pastor Greg and I, we'd love to pray with you. We'd love to wrestle through that question, the questions in your life, the what-ifs, and help you answer them. We'd love to stand with you and claim Jesus Christ as Lord. If you'd like to pray with us today, would you come find us? But if it's not today, boy, our doors are always open here. Do you know that? Because the what-ifs of life can come at us. But we have certainty in Jesus Christ. Our door is always open. But come. Come today. And like Peter, marvel. <laughs> Stand in awe at what God has done. For the what-ifs, both past and future, they all come to an end. For he is risen. He is risen indeed. He has risen. He has risen indeed. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful. We are grateful that this isn't a tale made up by a bunch of folks and then, you know, played out through history as some grand joke, but it is the truth of who you are, that your love would send you to the cross and that your resurrection would seal for us our hope, our life, our salvation, that it would be the cleansing of our past, paths, past and the certainty of our futures all rolled up into one grand resurrection from the dead. And so, Lord, we give you thanks and praise. Come and help each and every one of us answer these questions. Help us come to faith and to trust the truth that Jesus has risen. He has risen indeed. And all God's people say together, Amen. Amen.